A group of cybernetic aliens attempt to assimilate humanity into their collective, and only the crew of the USS Enterprise can stop them. Listen as we discuss Lost GeoCities websites, if aliens could unite humanity, and we make a predictable Moby Dick joke. Resistance is futile as we find out if Star Trek First Contact stands the test of time. Time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the glut. Alan says as a father, blah blah. It's the test of time. James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time. James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. I'm James Brief, and you know what, folks? If at first you don't succeed, try, try again, and (laughs) then try maybe one more time. So today I'm joined by my podcast partner, the director of this podcast, Alan Noah. How you doing, Al? Hi, how you doing, James? I'm great. I'm great. We're going to talk about a movie that uh, I saw in the theaters uh, 20-something years ago. You know, I've been asking you to see this film for a long time. Oh, my God. Yeah, I have, because uh, as our listeners might recall, uh, it's been a while, but we did a trilogy of Star Trek films. We did Star Trek II, Star Trek III, Star Trek IV, and you did not like any of them. And I was certainly not going to subject you to Star Trek V. And Star Trek VI is uh, its a pretty good Star Trek adventure, but if you didn't like II, um, you probably wouldn't like VI. I skipped Seven, which is Star Trek Generations, the one that kind of bridges the gap between Star Trek Next Generation and uh, the original series. And this one, this is Shatner-free. You have uh, Shatner replaced with Patrick Stewart. I mean, William Shatner. He's my captain. He's your captain. How dare you? (laughs) No, 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 no. I do not have a captain. Thank you very much. To further clarify to our listeners, though, you have been hounding me non fucking stop since we recorded those three episodes because somehow for some reason I agreed that someday we would do Star Trek First Contact and you have been relentless and so finally finally I succumbed just so that I wouldn't have to listen to you asking me this fucking question anymore. But I do just want to point out, you are not the only person to tell me that I would love Star Trek colon First Contact. Back in high school, I had two friends, Rich and Dave. They're twins, and they love Star Trek, and they loved this movie. They didn't convince me to watch it. They failed in that attempt. You succeeded there. But I think it was Dave. He had a GeoCities webpage, and when you first loaded it, it was the audio of Picard saying, I am Locutus, a Borg. And I remember not really knowing what that was and then hearing his rant about how great uh, First Contact was. Did you have a GeoCities website, James? Uh, at one point... I created a web page for my great aunt, who was basically like a, like a grandma, and it was just called like Aunt Dutzia's Words of Wisdom, and it was something like 
Um, I would just ask her, I'm like, Antonia, what are your words of wisdom? And she said, like, uh, be nice to each other, you know, something like that. So it was like very, five like very cute things. I either made it on my AOL account or it was GeoCities. And that was one of the two. And it's interesting because GeoCities pages, they just suddenly disappeared like 15 years ago, probably longer than that, probably like closer to 20 years ago. I don't believe that they were backed up in any way. Most of it was probably the same stupid stuff, like lyrics of like Guns N' Roses songs and stuff. But it was probably a lot of stuff that's just gone forever. I thought Yahoo bought them or something? Maybe. I don't know. I could Google it and I'm, I'm not going to, but it was all nonsense. This, this was not great content. Yes, Mostly, from yeah. a historical perspective, it would be nice if it was backed up somewhere. But I think if that shit is just lost to uh, the annals of time, okay, fine. Oh, but there's some interesting stuff that's, that's lost and it's just a shame uh, because I will tell you that I've forever mourned one of the greatest things I ever coded in my life from scratch, I coded the Oregon Trail on the TI-82 Texas Instruments graphing calculator. I drew every scene that was needed, and I made a fully functional game, including your ability to die of dysentery. You also had the chance of dying because you were thrown in the pit of the mighty Sarlacc, which at the time was an obscure Star Wars reference. But uh, huh. I procured the whole thing, and I lost it because I had no backup for my TI-82. I'm sorry, when was this? Like, how old were you? This is 90s. Like high school. Yeah, high school. I coded it in high school. If you don't want to answer this question, I will edit it out. No problem. You were a virgin in high school, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm not saying there there was a causation, but certainly a correlation between these two <laughs> things. I just wanted to, to clarify that uh, for our listeners. <laughs> so why don't you tell our listeners who maybe were having sex in 1996 what Star Trek colon First Contact is about? It centers on the crew of the USS Enterprise E as they battle with the Borg, a collective of cybernetically enhanced beings who assimilate every species they encounter. When the Borg attack Earth, Captain Picard is able to destroy their ship, but the Borg travel back in time to the mid-21st century with the goal of altering history by preventing humans from ever making first contact with aliens. Picard and the Enterprise follow the Borg back in time and must ensure that the eccentric scientist Zephram Cochran, the original creator of Warp technology, is able to fulfill his destiny. Meanwhile, a group of Borg infiltrate the Enterprise, forcing Picard and his crew to fight back against their evil queen. Okay, so this movie came out in 1996. How did it do at the box office? It came out on November 22nd, 1996. It had a pretty hefty budget for the time, uh, $45 million. And it opened with, at number one with $30.7 million. It knocked down the Quad City DJs down from number one. Who, what do you think I'm talking about? Space Jam. That's right, Space Jam, 1996. And this film, uh, it, it did well. It doubled its budget. It wound up with $92 million domestically and whatever after that on VHS. And, uh, you know, uh, the nice thing about releasing a movie in 1996 is that you're about two or three years away from the DVD revolution where everyone just rebuys all of their films. So this is really a sweet spot where, you know, especially a sci-fi film. And uh, this movie probably made a lot of money. Okay, so... So this movie, like Star Trek II colon The Wrath of Khan, it's not simply a big screen version of a TV show. It is a direct sequel to an episode, a two-parter episode. Correct. 
probably one of the most memorable uh, two-parter episode where uh, Jean-Luc Picard is uh, captured by the Borg and he is turned into a Borg and he has to do like horrible things. He blows up uh, ships and he does, you know, terrible things. And then uh, right at the end of the season, uh, Riker decides to fire on the Borg to blow up uh, Picard and all the Borg. And that's how the season ends. And it was like, whoa. But uh, people love that storyline. Eventually, Picard is saved from the Borg and rescued. I didn't know that watching the movie for the first time. I put it on yesterday. I didn't look up anything. I just kind of went in cold. And the movie starts with a sequence where Picard is a Borg. And I didn't know right out of the gate if that was a flashback to something that happened in the show or if it was like a vision of the future. It was clearly a dream-like thing, but I just didn't know if it was past or future. That's very fair. I don't think I had really seen many episodes of Star Trek Next Generation at this point. This this is 1996. We're in high school. I didn't really watch it in syndication. It was like randomly on Channel 11 on Saturdays at 4 p.m. So I don't think I really knew what the Borg were either when I first saw this film, to be fair. Okay. The reason I bring that up is because obviously I know that this is... IP, right? Like this is a movie based on a TV show. And I'm like, okay, I can go along with it. I'm going to figure it out. And it's pretty quick in the movie when you realize that, okay, yes, that scene of Picard as Borg, that was in fact a flashback. Fine. But I was still confused and a little off kilter because right away the Borg attack Earth and then Picard gets a call telling him that his home planet is under attack by his long-standing enemies and don't go there which is pretty fucking stupid like maybe just don't call him and tell him that but whatever. No, it's not whatever. It's not whatever. I'll explain exactly what it is. When he was a Borg, he attacked the Federation as as the Borg. The Borg is one mind. When the Borg attacked, they sent their whole fleet to attack the Borg cube, except Picard's ship. Because while they love Jean-Luc Picard as a Federation officer, they weren't 100% sure about him. All of that makes sense. But then why call him and notify him of it? Because the ships uh, on Starfleet are being destroyed and he knows what it is, but they're saying don't go. I think it's also a way to delay the uh, the Enterprise coming in because the Admiral that had ordered him gone, his ship is destroyed. So Jean-Luc Picard is able to take command only because they're delayed. I understand all that. It just felt like a weird thing to do to like call up the guy and be like, hey, this horrible thing's happening. You want revenge. It's your home planet. Stay put. Yeah, it's quickly explained, but probably not well enough for the audience. Yes. So he has these orders to go to the neutral zone. So he says, number one, go to the neutral zone. And then he walks out of the room. And I was confused because I thought he was making a list. Number one, go to the neutral zone. Number two, deploy the uh, uh, the what's he probes. Number three, report back. That, that's pretty funny. And then he walks out of the room and I'm like, okay, I guess that guy is named number one. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 second in command. So he's like, he's my number one. That's a nickname. And yeah, does he refer to him as number one again in the film? Yes, he okay. does. But right. but then they also start referring to him as Riker. And then I'm like, well, why are they calling number one Riker? Does this guy have Only two names? Only from Picard's point of view is he number one. 
Sure, I get it, and I was able to figure these things out in a short period of time. But while I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking these things. Like, I'm thinking, wait, is that guy's name number one? Oh, well, I guess I don't know that because I didn't watch Star Trek the TV show. And I guess people who did watch Star Trek the TV show, they do know that. So now I'm at a disadvantage. And while I'm thinking of all of these things, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not paying attention to the movie. And that is an Alan Noah thing. This is me. This is what I do. I get in my head and I overanalyze. But that kind of shit does take me out of the movie. And I think that is a big problem, not just with this movie, not just with Star Trek, but anything that's based on IP. The line that the writers, directors, producers, stars always give when they're promoting the movie is, hey, this is for the fans and it's for people who have never seen anything before. You can come in fresh and you'll love it. They say that for every fucking IP movie all the time. And it's pretty much always bullshit. But I just got to say, like, right out of the gate in this movie, we're talking less than five minutes in. I already feel like, well, this movie isn't for me. This movie is for fans and not for people who are coming in fresh off the street. And I'm on my back foot right away. It's very quick. I think the prologue gets to the point of the movie uh, very quickly. I probably had somewhat of a similar confusion. I, I might have known number one. I, I don't know. I probably saw Generations, the, the movie beforehand. Also, number one is a stupid name for a character, and it's not that character's name. But also, Data is a stupid name for a character for an android. I mean, that's kind of dumb too. So I, I could believe that there's a guy named number one. Someone might say Alan Noah's a stupid name for a podcaster. I'm just saying. Why are you just randomly saying Data's stupid? Because he's a machine and he, he is like good at Data and his name is Data. Like, come on. Data's a great guy. He's a, he's a, he's an emotionless, actually in this film, a continuation from something that happened in Generations. It doesn't matter that that happened in Generations, though, but they tell you that uh, he has, now he has an emotions chip that could be uh, activated and deactivated. That was like a brand new thing for him. Now, I do not know jack shit about Star Trek. And that's fine. But I do remember from the other movies that we watched that the Vulcans are creatures that are very logical and serious and they do not have feelings they only see things in a rational way but so then also data's kind of like that except now he's sort of flirting with emotions and also the borg are kind of like that they're very focused on their mission and they don't have emotions so they're not all exactly the same but it does seem like there are a lot of different characters and species that are in this same kind of realm of not having emotions. Um, no, no, no. The, the Vulcans, uh, they, they, they're just pure logic and they, they don't use their emotions. Data, uh, he's an android. So his story is a Pinocchio complex. He wants to be human. So he wants to know. Vulcans are completely uninterested in why people would be, uh, you know, love and, and waste their time with that stuff. No, that's not true. Spock was always asking about, like, uh, the emotions. Uh, Spock is half human. That That's the whole thing about Spock. Oh, my God. No, that, that's, that's the whole thing about him. They make a big deal of it in one of the films that you saw. Oh, Jesus. Okay, wait. So Spock is half human and Data's half human. No, Data is an android. So he's not at all human. Correct. He just looks like a human. Correct. Okay, that's also confusing. Because 
quite frankly, when you're watching Star Wars for the first time and R2-D2 and C-3PO walk on the screen, you immediately go, robots. When Data walks on the screen, you're like, why is that guy so pale? It's not clear that he's an android. But he clearly says it to the character of Lily, who plays the the role of, like, who doesn't know anything about Star Trek? Yes, but she doesn't come in until much, much later. That's true, but it is clear by, by, by then that uh, Data is, is an android. Yes, you get all of these pieces as you watch the movie, but for a while, if you don't know these things and you don't have that background knowledge— it is confusing. You, you're right. There could be some. Uh, there could have been a direction from someone at Paramount saying, "Do something very quickly to show everyone what everyone does." You know, Data. You could have his hands move lightning fast, and uh, Jordy show his eye focusing on something. Picard is the captain, and Riker's number one. I, I agree with you. you. You could do that better for someone um, like you, but I also think this movie. Okay, it makes you do a little bit of work. Before before it catches up. It should probably spoon feed it to you in the first five to seven minutes. You're right, but it doesn't. I think it gives it all to you in the end, though. I agree, and I'm fine with movies that kind of make you think and pay attention. I just think when it's based on IP and you're trying to bring in new people, then you kind of have to be careful about not just catering to the fans while also pushing away the new people. And to be clear, that's hard. That is a hard fucking balancing act. I get that. But I don't think this movie nails it. If it's a brand new film, uh, you know, that, that, that has no IP before it, you know that everything will theoretically be explained somewhat in the film. But I can understand from your perspective, while they did eventually explain the Borg and the relationships of everyone to everyone else, you could be thinking, oh, I have no idea who these people are and they're not going to explain it because I'm supposed to know who uh, this guy with his robot eyes. Right. That's a very fair flaw of this, that they could explain. It. And I don't think it would have been that hard, you know, without overdoing it and being like, hey, Jordy, with your cybernetic eye, get over here. Right. You know, I, I think they could have done it pretty subtly. Oh, or yeah. at least made sure that you basically made sure to introduce everyone's shtick or name or nickname within the first 10 minutes. That, that That's a fair criticism because at this point in the film, with the Borg still attacking uh, 24th century Earth, it's fair that you're confused and and also apprehensive about whether you're going to get any explanation over the next hour and 40 minutes of this. Right, right, right. Exactly. So they want to do a, a time travel film. You know, everyone loves time travel. And, uh, uh, you know, that was the most successful uh, original series film, uh, the, the number four, the one with the whales. Uh, they decided to do it again. Their original idea, the movie was going to be called Star Trek Renaissance. And it was going to take place in medieval Europe where the Borg were going to crash and, like, take over a castle. And it was a whole thing with Leonardo da Vinci was going to work with data to make all kinds of stuff. And, oh, boy, is that a bad, bad, bad idea. Really? I'm surprised that you you say that. I think that would be fantastic. I think that gives you the best of both worlds. Then you have the Star Trek nerds and the Renaissance Fair nerds, and they can all get together and, like, you know, just talk about how they someday hope to see a boob or something. 
I mean, but it's so campy because he got this inevitable, like, Leonardo now bases one of his works of art on the Next Generation crew. I would not have even thought of this, but they picked a time travel film to the past, but yet it's our future. Right. And it's, uh, it takes place in the late 21st century. And throughout the uh, Star Trek uh, series, you don't need to know this, but uh, it's kind of pessimistic that there is going to be a, a third world war. And after that, ushers in this Star Trek future. You know, people always talk about, is it going to be a Star Wars future with empires or a Star Trek future with kind of discovery and everyone has a replicator and there's no money? Uh, Star Wars takes place in the past, James. Uh, Yeah, yes, of course. But I'm saying we could have a Star Wars future. Right, right. I did think that that was interesting, this idea of aliens coming down and that being the thing that unites humanity. I'm going to sound like a cynical fuck right now. Sorry. I don't think that idea stands the test of time. I think if we as a species couldn't agree that a deadly virus was a bad thing, I don't know that we can all agree that alien life forms are a good thing. Also, that is colored by the fact that uh, Courtney and I just saw Tina Fey and Amy Poehler live, and Amy Poehler did a joke about how, you know how fucked up things are in the world right now? There was like a congressional hearing where they basically admitted that aliens are real, and we as a society were basically like, no thanks, not now, we can't deal with this shit. You know, obviously that's an exaggeration, and it was a, a very funny joke. Her delivery was way better than what I just said, but like... I don't see it as the thing that brings humanity together. I like the idea, though. Oh, come on. It's completely different than COVID-19. You can't see a virus. Most people were fine. So there could be some not informed people that could be swayed by some definite misinformation campaigns. When aliens are flying warp speed, you can't miss this. Everyone would get on board with this. Fake footage, fake news. They got the media. You can't believe it. It it would unite us. It would unite us like never before. That's talked about in the movie Contact as as well. Yeah. But also in Contact, the fear that we find out this truth would drive people crazy like in Contact. But uh, once we found out it was truthful, I think that would die. Fair, fair. I did also like this idea that this guy who's played by James Cromwell, Cochran, that he is in the future worshipped. Literally, there's a statue made of this guy, and he's a dick. He is an alcoholic. He is very handsy with uh, the doctor. She says that, like, she had to, like, fight him off of her. So he kind of sucks, and history has made him this, basically, god among men. I think that is an interesting idea, Because here in this country, we worship the founding fathers. And you can think George Washington was a brilliant, wonderful guy. He was also a person, right? And like Thomas Jefferson had slaves. And like these people, they weren't perfect. And that's okay. It's fine to acknowledge that they were human beings. But through the lens of history, we sometimes make these people myths and legends. And maybe that's not always accurate. 
And they were also kids that we forget about just because they wore white wigs. Um, Aaron Burr was 20, James Monroe, 18, Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton was 21. When you read the biographies, you know, you could find out all kinds of things about, uh, you know, our founding fathers. And, you know, you find out that it's it's complex. Uh, sure. Know. But uh, like all humans, it's just so much more interesting when you don't have this uh, perfect uh, character because nobody's perfect. And right. especially especially the kind of person that would lead us to the stars of warp drive. And, you know, maybe this guy at his old age, he decides to take on that persona. I love the line that he says, I did not make the warp drive to unite humanity. I want to retire on an island full of women. I thought that was great. And I think James Cromwell plays it really well. He does. When he said that, like, I'm just in it for the money. That felt very, very Han Solo-esque. The wording, the cadence, the delivery, it was like, okay, you're trying to be Han Solo. You're saying that you only care about money, but wait, we're going to find out at the end that you really are a good person and you don't just care about the money, right? I roll. I get what they were going for, but as a Star Wars fan, I was like, that's a cheap Han Solo ripoff. And, you know, I want to ask you, you know the two uh, people that landed on Apollo 11, right? On the moon. You know their names, right? Uh, Neil Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin. That's right. Okay. There you go. So you don't know who the third person on Apollo 11 was. Uh, Joe Mama? No, you're close. His name is Mike. Uh, Michael Collins. And, you know, most people don't know who this guy was. Uh, you know, I guess everyone in 1969 probably did. But when they find Lily, uh, Alfred Woodard's character, and they scan her and they're like, we don't know who this is. Let's bring her back to sickbay. And I was like, how do you not know Zephyrin Cochran's uh, assistant? And I was thinking, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. I don't even think it's a, a woman thing or in this case, a, a racial thing that she's African-American. I just think that, you know, people usually don't know anything about that assistant. And I found that more believable that she would not be in the Enterprise's uh, records of who she was on a facial scan in 2063 or something. I think that's fair. There's something I wanted to bring up, and it especially hit me because just last week when we were talking about the score, we were talking about how there's a hacker scene and it just seemed really anticlimactic to me. And we were kind of saying that they should have added some kind of gobbledygook exposition about what happened and why they needed to hack it. I feel like that's a thing we've said before on the podcast too. Sometimes you just need to throw in a, a big word or two in order to just make the audience believe, okay, this was complicated. Holy shit. This movie is nothing but that gobbledygook. That exposition, those long-winded explanations, and I think we talked about this in our other Star Trek episodes, that like that's what makes it hard sci-fi as opposed to soft sci-fi, but I felt like so many characters in this movie spent so much time just explaining stuff of like, well, where are the Borg going? Well, obviously they're going to deck 17 so that they can reroute the mainframe. Who's he? What's it? And they can connect the defibrillator to the metamorphosis. Ah, well, why don't we go to level 16 and then we can reroute our Cacciatore Primavera and then we can have a little bit of the photosynthesis, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, on and on and on and on and on and on and on about these gobbledygook words. And I was like, does any of this make any fucking sense? I, I was so, so goddamn lost. 
I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that I didn't watch the TV show. I think it was just a lot of crazy fucking words that you're supposed to go, oh, yes, well, of course the anti-proton matter will disengage the gerrymander disenfranchisement because, duh. That's not anything like what the dialogue was like. It made perfect sense to me. Of course it did. So Futurama had a very famous... uh, takedown of star trek what happens is there's always someone that says the techno babble and then someone else says to explain it in futurama that someone says "Uh, activate the positronic and then uh, bender says like letting air out of a balloon they always say that not in this movie i did not get that they do they have to make the they have to uh, activate the positronic switch so that they could uh, communicate with the Borg of this century. I'm sorry, I, I, I just disagree with you. I don't think that, I do not know what a positronic matrix is. Yes, you do. I don't do. know what any of these words mean. And I was able to understand that. There is a point when uh, Data, he's getting so nervous about his brand new skin and the emotions he's feeling that he just starts spewing some gobbledygook. Um, how did you activate the positronic matrix to activate this into my neural network? I completely understood what he was trying to ask, even though I didn't understand any of the words. Like, he's just trying to ask in a scientific way instead of just saying, wow, this feels really cool. Sometimes in movies, you need a little bit of it. I felt like this movie was two fucking hours of that stuff. And then there were... Oh, it wasn't. It was. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about that scene where they very very slowly have to turn these three knobs so that the satellite dish won't interfere with the proton, neutron, quasitron, ambitron, flubbity bobbles, whatever. It's a maglock. Okay, fine. But that could have been like an action-packed scene or a thrilling scene. It's really not because they're moving in slow motion. Okay, fine, they're in space. But also, the Borg are just watching them from what looks like several inches away, and then they don't pay any attention because the Borg, sometimes they are like fucking Terminators. These things are killing machines that you can maybe get one or two shots in and then they adapt and that won't work anymore. Oh my God, they're lethal killing machines. But also sometimes you can just walk right by them and they don't give a shit about you because they don't consider you a threat. What the fuck? Why not? That doesn't make any fucking sense. The Borg don't just go and kill every single thing that they find. That That's just not what they do. And Picard explained it. You can walk past a Borg if it doesn't consider you a threat. Everyone that fires a weapon at it, they're going to attack. Yeah, but they attack plenty of people that don't fire weapons at them. Like they bust down a door and the doctor's like, no, no, no. Like that person was just standing there screaming, no, no, no. But when Lily screams, no, 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 then she's fine. These rules are not consistent. Yeah, I mean, it's what they take as a threat. It's not this, It's not predator rules where you have to be holding a weapon. I guess the people they kill in the beginning of engineering weren't necessarily going to attack them, but they were a threat to their threat to existence. They, if they're not taken out, then we can't multiply. You know, you could stretch the logic of what threat is. But it is canon in the uh, in the show that they could sometimes <laughs> Walk past them, but they explain it in the uh, it's what? it's canon. <laughs> they explain it in the movie, so you know it doesn't matter if it's in the show. 
Picard explains it very straightforward. You could walk past them as long as you're not a threat. But what constitutes a threat? That's uh, that's vague. That is super fucking vague and subjective. Whatever the plot requires. Yeah, it, it's inconsistent. That's fair. I mean, like, that's fair. going back to that satellite scene, the Borg see Picard and the other two doing the maglock thing. They're looking right at them. They're not hidden. This is all in plain sight. And they look at them. And then they go back to doing what they're doing. But then eventually something happens where, okay, now they are a threat and they attack. I just didn't get what the thing was that made them go from not a threat. We don't care about what they're doing to suddenly they are a threat. We must stop them. Maybe it was just because their quark positrons were a little bit defibrillated. And so what they needed to do was to reanimate Mm -hmm. their uh, mitochondria. Maybe that mm-hmm. was it. That, that's right. Yeah. Uh huh. Mitochondria. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um. So I saw this in the theaters, and of course, I you saw did. this with my buddy uh, Eric Deutsch uh, back in the day. I will tell you, the theater loved this. The satellite scene when uh, Worf uh, fires and he goes, assimilate this. The whole theater really loved that one. I'm sure they did. That's a great line. A great line. Sure. Um, there's a great scene, uh, between, uh, Alfred Woodard and Patrick Stewart. And I thought that scene was fantastic. I, I mean, I'm sure you're going to rip it apart, but it was basically a Captain Ahab, uh, analogy because, you know, you get it from the movie, but more in the, in the show, it's a little more added to it. Uh, Picard has been haunted by the Borg forever and he is absolutely not backing down. And the Borg are essentially zombies. It's a zombie film and uh, the ship is going to be completely taken over and if the ship is taken over then humanity is taken over and Lily is able to basically tell him that he's basically Captain Ahab and that's Moby Dick who was obsessed with catching the whale and he wound up ruining everything by uh, going into his obsession I thought it was a wonderful scene that scene was fine the thing that bugged me was didn't we just hear a Moby Dick Captain Ahab thing in one of the other Star Trek movies I didn't really remember the specifics, and then I I looked it up today. Yeah, that was in uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. They make a Moby Dick analogy. Irrelevant. It's like quoting the Bible twice. They're completely different parts. What? No, it's not. They're going back to the same fucking well. That's fine. But first of all, Moby Dick is a classic film. And Star Trek II and Star Trek uh, VIII are both about vengeance from uh, previous villains. The themes of Moby Dick are perfectly valid. I I just felt like we've been there, done that, picked some other classic literature about revenge there's a million pick something from shakespeare or something i was like oh we're, we're doing that one again okay but it's not the same quote and it's not the same theme of moby dick it, it's it's a big fucking book moby dick are you saying it's a big dick was that what you were going for no okay <laughs> i also do love the uh wharf line when uh He's facing down Picard before that scene. Picard's like, you're a coward. And then Worf says, if you were any other man, I would kill you. Uh, It's just cool. Because like, who the hell says that to Captain Picard? The answer, Lieutenant Worf. And later, Captain Picard apologizes. Like a good leader would when they mess up completely. 
Uh-huh. I, I also love that in this film, too. I, I didn't even talk about that. Like Zephyrin Cochran, I love that Captain Picard is not this flawless, like, ah, oh, Kirk saves the day again. Picard fucks up and gets half of his ship killed. Uh, I mean, I don't think he got half the ship killed, but he probably caused a few too unnecessary deaths that, that shouldn't have been. Maybe the Federation was smart to not have him uh, come, but, you know, in the end, they were actually stupid because he was able to tell them where to fire and destroy the Borg Cube. That being said, I do love when uh, when franchises are able to show the flaws in their heroes. Yeah, I guess that's fine. Question about the time travel thing. In Star Trek IV, that's the one with the whales, right? Yes, the whales. Okay. Uh, there'll be whales, Captain. Right. So in that movie, the time travel was like hard, right? Like they are in the past and then they spend the entire movie trying to figure out how they can get Back to the Future, basically. Am, am I remembering that right? Back to the Future, that's a good movie. But you're correct. Yes, you're correct. Yes, Back to the Future was a good movie. But in this movie, the time travel is like not really hard. The Borg do it very easily in the beginning of the movie. And then at the end of the movie, the Enterprise crew just is like, oh, well, we'll just go back to the future now. Easy peasy, like, oh, I thought that was like a hard thing to do. And they kind of piggybacked on the Borg into the past, but the Borg are gone. So how do they get back to the future? It's just like, eh, we just do it. It's not really that big of a deal. I thought that was a little strange. Also, if the Borg can travel back in time, why don't they do that all the time? In Star Trek lore, the Borg are the most technologically advanced anything anywhere because all they do is assimilate everything and conquer everything and know everything about every civilization. So they're always the most advanced. So it makes sense that the Borg could do that. But then uh, why would you go back to uh, First Contact? And yeah, it makes much more sense to go back to, you know, the Roman Empire or just like, uh, you know, the caveman and just, you know, throw some torpedoes and just make the whole planet methane and just kill everyone. Even like when the queen is in that final showdown with Picard and it seems like, uh oh, they're in trouble. Why doesn't she just hit the big time travel button and then go back to before that happened? Well, they can't time travel in the Enterprise. That, that was in the Borg Cube. Oh, right. Of course, you can't time travel in the Enterprise because they don't have the the proper uh, quasi enchilada matrix of uh, flingoflogbles. So, uh, yeah, of, of course. Until the very last line in the movie when they're just like, we reverse this something, something, something that the Borg did and we'll just go back to the 24th century. So, you know, the answer is in Star Trek four. That was the old series. This is 70 years later. It's much, much easier. Think about a, a modem from 1990 versus, you know, high-speed wireless internet today. That's basically what we're talking about. And now extrapolate that to time travel. No, thanks. Back in my day, we had to time travel by going around the sun to warp 10. Mm. But James, let me ask you about this movie that you very clearly love. Do you think Star Trek colon First Contact stands a test of time? Oh, yeah. I think this is a fantastic film. And while you do have a, a, an interesting insight into the... Uh, 
first uh, 10, 15 minutes of the film that you might be a little confused. That's a very fair flaw of this film. But other than that, or maybe even giving someone like a one minute uh, primer or primer uh, of primer. the film. A primer. Okay. I think that this film is fantastic. A lot of the Star Trek films, sometimes they have action really for no reason other than like, let's just put action because it's exciting. I think the J.J. Abrams films kind of suffer from that. Um, and even some of the Star Trek uh, movies, especially some of the later Star Trek uh, Next Generation films after this film, they went from eh to bad. Some of the earlier films didn't have action and they were a little bit more cerebral and you know, maybe uh, not suffered for it, but they could have used a little more action. And I think that this film was a perfect blend of action. It had a great story. I disagree that it's not for uh, people that are not familiar with the franchise. I think you can quickly figure out what's going on because, like I said, I did not really know this franchise uh, when I saw this film. I'm pretty sure I saw Star Trek Generations. That, that's that's probably it. Um, so I had some familiarity with it, but not much. And I did not know what the Borg were. Um, I think the Borg were a fantastic villain because you can't really destroy them and zombies are just fantastic. You're not really going to put zombies in a, in a Star Trek film, so you make it the Borg. And it's a, it's a fantastic spinoff of zombies in my opinion. I think Alice Cringe as the Borg Queen, she's she's great. I think the reveal at the end of the film uh, of the first contact, that in the theater, everyone started applauding, actually, because it was Vulcans, and it just all makes sense, and it was just very nice. I think it's, there's a great climax in this film, and uh, Data is very, very tempted to... Uh, take their offer, uh, the Borg Queen's offer of being turned into a human, and you kind of think that Data is going to turn on them, and he, he purposely misses the Zephyrin Cochran ship and just says resistance is futile, which is, uh, I mean, you may not know it, but that's the Borg uh, tagline, it's kind of one of the favorite uh, Star Trek lines, so when Data said it, it was great. But then why did he turn off the uh, ship uh, self-destruct? Um, I think he needed to gain her trust. But then he betrays her like four seconds later. Yeah, he does. Um, I think Picard uh, is great. I think he was never an action star in any of the films. And I have to give uh, Patrick Stewart credit. The guy was ripped. And baby still is ripped. I have no idea. But I, the last scenes when he's hanging by those ropes... Damn, that, that guy's ripped. I, I really think so. No, he's not ripped anymore. He could barely throw Hey Arnold in that uh, Super Bowl commercial. Okay, fine. Um... I think it's a great film. I think it's the only solid next generation film. Uh, I think the next film in the series, Insurrection, it doesn't carry the storyline at all. But this film really advances many of the characters. It definitely puts data forward. Uh, Picard has great uh, parts. There's a new character, Lily. They do not continue her in the story because she's a one and done character. She's great. Uh, James Cromwell is great. There's a reason why this was the it was a big success at the box office. I think there's a reason why the next films were not successes. It's pretty beloved by the Star Wars, uh, Star Trek fan, <laughs> Star Trek franchise. And I think with a uh, very good reason, uh, this film is great. I think it stands the test of time and uh, I, I'll, I'll hold my breath. I thought I might have had one chance at a Star Trek film actually being uh, a good time for you, Al. Let's find out. Do you think 1996 is Star Trek? Colon. First Contact stands the test of time. So you know this about me, James. I don't like Seinfeld, the TV show, not the guy. <laughs> I I've never was into it. 
right? And what did people, including you, James Brief, say to me? Even though you don't like Seinfeld, you need to watch this episode. This one is so good that even if you don't like Seinfeld, you'll love this episode. And I watched those episodes because I wanted to like Seinfeld. Everyone else seemed to like it. And I never liked those episodes. This is four Star Trek movies that you forced me to watch because I'm bound to like them. This is going to be the one that I'm going to like. I don't like Star Trek. I never have. And I don't think I ever will. I'm fine with that. I really, really didn't enjoy this movie. It was boring. It was slow. I a thousand percent felt like I couldn't get into it because I didn't watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And I couldn't get into Star Trek The Next Generation because I didn't watch Star Trek The Original Series. And if you don't watch Star Trek The Original Series, then you're not going to get these movies. And then you're not going to get this other thing. And you're not going to get this other thing. And there's a lot of fucking homework and I'm just not interested. I'll give you a, a contemporary example. I very much enjoyed Ahsoka, the show on Disney+. Plus. However, I wouldn't just blanket recommend that show to everyone because in order to really understand everything that happens in Ahsoka, you need to remember everything that happened in Star Wars Rebels and everything that happened in Star Wars The Clone Wars. There's a lot of fucking backstory that you need. And if you don't have that backstory, you're not going to like it. If you do have that backstory and you're really into it and you love these characters and you love these stories, yes, you will fucking love it. And that's okay. Sometimes the phrase fan service gets a bad rap. It's just, oh, just giving the fans what they want. That's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're a Star Trek fan and you loved the next generation and you loved this idea of the Borg and you loved that episode where uh, Picard became a Borg and you wanted more of that, well, then this is your perfect movie. Great. Wonderful. Enjoy it. Do I want to fucking watch it as someone who didn't have any of that other backstory? Nope. I don't give a shit. It's boring as fuck. No, thank you. One last critique of the movie that I thought was really fucking stupid. When Cochran sees the Vulcans, this moment, the big moment, first contact, it's in the fucking title. This is what we've been waiting for the whole movie. The alien ship comes down and Cochran looks at them and he says, oh my God, they really are from another world. How the fuck does he know? They look 100% like humans. He speaks perfect English. And then finally, it's the big reveal when he takes off the hood. And then you see the one distinguishing feature that makes him look slightly different from humans, the pointy ears. And I get why they did that. That was for everyone in the audience so that when that happened, 100,000 virgins could have their first sexual experience. They could all instantly ejaculate in their pants when they saw the pointy ears. But why does Cochran instantly know they're aliens? Come on. So no, this movie does not stand the test of time. We have a difference of opinion here. There are no other Star Trek films, certainly none over 15 years, uh, that uh, we're, we're going to be reviewing. And uh, Thank I guess it's probably the last Star Trek film to review. Thank but, uh, God. But you, you are wrong on Star Trek First Contact. And let him know in the comments. Fine. On uh, one of the other movies that we watched, someone did say, come on, Alan's totally wrong about these Star Trek movies. That's okay. It's not for me. But James... Next week, 
It's episode four fucking hundred. Yay. I wanted to pick a movie that was going to be a big one, a classic movie, and we're going to watch Dr. Strangelove. Have you ever seen Dr. Strangelove, James? I've seen it once, uh, but not for many years. Same here. I am very much looking forward to watching that movie again. It is 60 years old. It came out in 1964. I'm very interested in revisiting that movie and celebrating episode 400. That is going to be a great episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Make sure you don't miss it. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcast app you use. We are at Tested Time Pod on Facebook, X, Instagram, and Threads. And we'll see you next week for episode 400. Bye.